0: We'd like to ask you to come up front and we're going to pray for you. So and don't hide cuz I saw some of you so I know you're here. Yes, Caleb, that means you. <laughs> we have kindergarten graduates? Yeah. I'll run over there right after this and <laughs> come on over here, Caleb. <clears throat> I just want to pray for them. If you guys would like to come up and lay hands on them, they're headed to an awesome future and we're excited about it. And so we're going to lay hands on them and pray. If you feel so led to come up, you're welcome to. I know there's probably some families that might like to put some hands on them, but um, if you guys want to, come on up and we'll we'll put hands on them and pray. Come, my brother. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much, God, for just the work that you've done in these young people's lives. God, we lift them to you and we ask as they go from here in a variety of directions, Lord, we pray that one thing would be true, that your spirit would go with them wherever they go. Father, that you would watch over and keep them. God, that you would enlarge their territories and bless them indeed. Father, that you would just give them a clear vision and direction in their life, Lord God. And, and as they go forward, Father, may they just be filled with the joy, the inexpressible of, of what it is to be filled with your power and your spirit in a great adventure of life, Lord God. We just ask as they go forward that you would bless them and that you would watch over and keep them, Father. And we give you thanks that they're here with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Congratulations. Oh. Hey, we found a set of keys. So if when you try to leave later, you realize you can't, um, see David. Tell him happy birthday when you do and get the keys. If you guys have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter twenty-four for our uh, ever never-ending saga in Matthew chapter twenty-four, which is going to come to an end today. Matthew chapter twenty-four. As we've been going through Matthew chapter twenty-four, we're reminded. We want to constantly try to keep. The, the view in mind of what is happening, what's going on. Remember, Jesus left the Temple Mount and he just told the people, See, your house is left to you desolate. That's a, a, a verbalization of what God did. He left the temple. He's not there. It's an empty house. When Jesus first came, he said, My house shall be a house of prayer. But after the rejection of the Pharisees and all the stuff that went on up there, he says, See, your house is left to you desolate. He gave it to them. It's your house. And he walks off the temple mount. God leaves. And as he walks down off the temple mount, the disciples are, are confused at the saying. Remember, they're thinking a kingdom's coming, and he's going to be the king. And what do you mean the house is left desolate? So they point up at the, at the temple, and they say, Lord, haven't you, have you ever seen anything so beautiful? Their focus was in the wrong place. Their focus on the outside appearance, on the outside of this building. Not on what the building stood for. You know, when the Lord gave in the book of Leviticus the charge of the sacrificial system, you know what he said? When you build the altar, don't use any tools. I don't want you to build a big old fancy altar, pretty cool looking altar, and then everybody is looking at the altar instead of what's on it. Because what's on the altar is what matters. The sacrifice. That's the focus. So the Lord looks at the building and He says, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on another. So the disciples ask Him two questions. When will these things be? Speaking of the destruction of the temple. And Jesus answers that. We read that in the Gospel of Luke. And then they also ask Him, when will be, what will be the sign? Singular word. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's one question. He doesn't ask for two signs. Ask for one sign. Sign of your coming and staying, setting up your kingdom, and the end of the age. When all this craziness is going to stop and you're going to be our king forever. That's the question. And so Jesus answers it. And as we look at the scriptures that we've gone through in Matthew chapter 24, we see some of those. Listen. In Matthew 24 Verse 14, Jesus answering their question said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. It's answering their question. The gospel is going to go out to all the world. In uh, Matthew 24, verse 29, he says, And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun is darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven... The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens. He's answering their question. Here's the sign at the end of the tribulation. Here's the sign after the gospel has gone to all the world. You'll see the sign of the Son of Man returning in the heavens. In verse 32 he says, Now learn the parable of the fig tree and all the trees. Remember? Remember? When you see leaves, expect fruit. That's the point of the parable. When you see these things start to happen, you know it is near at the very door. But then in verse 36, he says, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Verse 42, He charges us a watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour of your Lord's coming. Verse 44, He says, therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. As Jesus is laying out for Him and answering the question of the sign, He gives them the answer, the sign of His return. But he gives them more than that. He gives them a way to live their life. And that's what we've been talking about in Matthew chapter 24. He introduced us to three groups of people. Think about it from the examples, especially beginning from verse 36 and on. First, he shows us those who do not watch and do not know. Those who do not watch and do not know. And the flood came and took them away. They are unbelievers. They don't know. So they don't watch. Second group we see are those who know and watch. You see, Noah knew the day. God told him. God told him what day to get upon the ark, what day the floods was coming. He knew those who know and those who watch. Those are the tribulation saints because they know the day. What are you talking about, Jackie? We went over this, but we'll go over it again. It's really simple. You see, Jesus said from the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Run, flee. The end is coming. It draws near. Actually, Daniel the prophet tells us that it's three and a half years. Well, just in case that's too confusing for you, Daniel the prophet. And Daniel says it's 1,260 days until Jesus puts his foot on the earth from the time of the abomination of desolation. Those who watch and know when he returns are tribulation saints. Tribulation saints, believers during the tribulation. The Bible tells that many will come to faith during the tribulation period. And during that time, they'll know when he returns. Because as soon as the abomination of desolation happens, 1,260 days. He's here. The third group that we see in in the stories that Jesus has been telling us through Matthew chapter 24 is represented by the disciples. And that is those who watch and do not know. If you look carefully at Matthew chapter 24, as we come down, the scripture lays out for us in verse 42. All the pronouns change. The Lord says, watch therefore for you, my disciples, do not know the hour when the Son of Man is coming. You don't know. Listen, the call to all groups is the same. Watch. But Jesus changes the focus when he gets personal with the disciples. And he says, you do not know. You won't know. You can't know. So, he represents or the disciples represent the church age believers. Those who are looking for the rapture spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'd love to get into as much of that as possible. But I can't. We don't have time. We have Matthew 24 to deal with. But suffice it to say, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, the Bible tells us that we shall not all sleep. But that the Lord will descend. He descends into the heavens, doesn't put his feet on the ground. The trumpet will shout, the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air together with him. And there we will be forever. Those are irrefutable facts. You can argue about when you think things are happening or not. You can worry about them or you cannot. But the point remains the same. The challenge in Matthew chapter 24 is this. Be ready. For you do not know the hour that the Lord is coming. Be ready. Know the time. And then Jesus goes on to tell us two parables. One we'll look at today to illustrate exactly what we've been talking about. Two parables. Let's read them together. We'll begin in verse 45 of Matthew 24. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Well, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master delays his coming. He begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. Well, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two, appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before your scripture this morning, Lord, we do pray that your spirit would be in this place. God, guide us and lead us. Give us eyes to see and hearts willing to receive. Father, if we came with full cups, Lord, may we allow there to be enough room to receive what you have for us. May we be teachable. May we be learners. May we be challenged by the word. To receive that which you have for us this morning and glorify you in the lives that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we bring these thoughts together, we look at this first parable. The second parable is a parable of the, of the ten virgins. We'll talk about that later. But this one we'll deal with today. And as we look at this parable, the parable is a... Paraboles, something cast alongside something else to help us more clearly identify what it is that the Lord is talking about. And he's challenged us as we look at Matthew 24 coming from about verse 36 on. He told us as it was in the days of Noah. We talked about that last week. The the, the population explosion, the propensity to violence, the sexual immorality. All those things that mark the days of Noah. And what that was like. But listen, whenever we consider the days of Noah, and we look at the example of those who, who weren't watching for the flood, and the unbelievers, those who knew and were, Noah and his family who got on the ark and through the flood were preserved, that's a perfect picture of what happens to the saints during the, the tribulation period. If, if, if in fact... Especially that 144,000 are a nation of Israel whom God is going to carry through and bring them to the other side. But even as we look at that picture, I don't want you to lose sight of other characters who are also a part of the days of Noah. You see, right before we're introduced to Noah in Genesis chapter 5, we meet a guy who decided to start having kids. His name's Enoch. Scripture says Enoch was 65 years old and he had sons. And right after that, it says Enoch walked with God. If you have sons, you know why. As soon as you start having children, things start changing. You start looking at the, the, the hope, your hope for them, just as we brought the graduates up. And I know they don't get it. I, I know. They don't understand. Well, I don't know what they're talking about. Future life just keeps... Yes, it does. And one day you blink and you're 50 years old or better like Dave Plue. <laughs> and, and it all just goes like that vapor. Now, Enoch had children, but the scripture says, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Isn't that a pretty awesome testimony to have? If you can imagine such a thing that that the, your testimony before the Lord is that you walked with God. Enoch walked with God. But the scripture goes on to say. And was not. For God took him. You see Enoch had a son, he had a family, he began to follow the Lord, seek after the Lord. He walked with God for 300 years. At the end of that 300 years, he still had family, still had kids, still had people going on around him. But he walked with God and God knew that judgment was coming. And he knew that Enoch is a picture for us of those who are not appointed to wrath. And God took him. Genesis chapter 5. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Now all throughout Enoch's life, he was charged with the same thing you and I are. And that is to walk with God. Every day. And to walk with God every day as though that's the day you're going to see him. That's the day you're going to look into his face. 1 John chapter 3 tells us in verse 2 that, that we do not yet know what we will be, but when we see him, we will be like him. And everyone who has this hope within himself purifies himself even as he is pure. The Bible says when we live our life looking, watching, for the Lord Jesus Christ, to see Him every day, to know this is the day, this could be the day that I'm going to see the Lord and I'm to live my life that way no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening around me, no matter how difficult it might be, no matter how much of a struggle it might be, no matter how the world is upside down, doesn't change the call. Live every day watching and waiting and everyone who does purifies himself even as he is pure. It means, according to the the epistles of John, that we walk in the light as he is in the light. That those who say they abide in Christ ought also to walk as He walked. That we follow His example. Because the Bible tells that those who who walk in the night, those who are of the darkness, they're busy doing a bunch of other stuff. They're partying and hanging out and getting drunk and, and living I- immoral lives and they don't care. They're happy about that. They're stoked about that lifestyle. But the Lord says if you're of the light, walk in the light. Be who you are. Be who you say you are. Be that example that Christ is calling us to be. Every day. So Jesus tells this parable. And he introduces us to two servants, right? Two servants. Let's take a look at the first one. The first servant we see is a wise servant. The wise servant. Look in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? That wise servant is a believer. The wise servant is a believer who lives every day looking for the return of Jesus Christ. Looking for the return of his master. Wanting to make sure his household is in order. Wanting to make sure that things are put together the way they ought. The one who is looking. The Bible says he has responsibilities. Look at it. It says, Who therefore is this faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler... Over his household to give them food in due season. The first thing we see is the the responsibilities of the wise servant. The wise servant who who represents a believer watching, looking for the return of the Lord. He says you have responsibilities. You have a stewardship. You have a stewardship. And that stewardship is, is... So important. That stewardship is important. But here's the concept. The idea is this. Please don't lose sight of this. The idea is no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, you have one job. The Lord said, Occupy till I come. Period. Occupy till I come. Do business. Be the steward. What is it that God's given you? The Bible tells us in First Corinthians chapter 4, somewhere around verse 7, he tells us that, listen, everything that you have is a gift to you from God. What do you have that God's given you? You have time. You have resources. You have your life. All of these things are gifts to you that God expects you to be a good steward of. To take care of the things that belong to God. The things that belong to God, like my children. They belong to God, but I'm supposed to take care of them. The things that belong to God, my breath, that I that I live my life so that it counts for Him. That I make my life count for the Lord. I live my life for Him. It's it's His. It's His time. My wife that God's given me is a gift to me from God. He gives me one of His daughters. And He says, here, love her. Like Christ loved a church. I have been given a stewardship. And that stewardship, that responsibility, listen, for the wise servant means that I take my responsibility seriously for what God's calling me to do. Folks, we all know people who maybe they, they pray a prayer, and that's as deep as their relationship with God ever goes. And there's never obedience. There's never the, the desire to, to do and to be and to provide for the Lord the things He's given me. To be responsible for those things. To give food in due season. Then we want to be a wise servant. Then the wise servant says, when my Lord returns, I want to have been taking care of His stuff. That's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for me. Sunday mornings, I get up at 5 in the morning. One chief reason. But Kathy's not up yet. What do you mean? Well, if Kathy's up and I'm up, those two things make for possible conflict. I'm sure not for any of you guys. You're you're all far beyond any conflict. None of you were fighting, driving in the parking lot, right? Everybody come in all happy, singing a song. We're going to church today. We're going to church today. I get up at 5 in the morning, so that doesn't happen. Kathy got up early this morning. And she come out, and she shared some things with me. And I decided to be a coach or a foreman instead of her husband. You ever been that for your wife before? Come on, buck up, honey. You can do it. (laughs) Somehow that just doesn't go over. But The Lord says, the challenge to me, are you a good steward with what I've given you? Because when the Lord returns, I want to be found loving my wife like Christ loved the church. That's my job. It doesn't... It doesn't require me to worry about hers. It requires me to worry about me. Am I being a good steward? Am I being responsible for what he's given us? But not only does it talk about his responsibility, and then the other thing in that responsibility, please note, you're not going to find anywhere in Scripture where it says, hey, if you hear that I'm returning, sell everything you have, put on a white robe, and go stand on a mountain. It's not there. Anywhere. In fact, Jesus said, if somebody tells you that, go the other way. Don't listen to them. Read my word and know what my word says. But not only are we to be responsible for what God's given us, look, then in verse, uh, verse 46, he goes on and he says, Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find what? So doing. He's faithful. Hey, one of the primary things that when we consider a steward is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, Let a man consider us a servant of Christ. That's supposed to be who we are. Stewards, he says, of the mysteries of God. And moreover, it is required of a steward, you know the rest, to be faithful. So blessed is that servant when his master comes, he finds what? Doing. Doing. Doing what, what God's telling him to do. Being who God's telling him to be. Living the life that God's calling us to live. Occupying until he comes. Looking every day for his return and living the book. live in the book. Living the word. Being who God asks us to be. The second part of that wise servant is that he is faithful he is faithful listen hebrews chapter 6 tells us that god will not forget the works that you have done for him he's watching he 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 encourages us not to grow weary in doing good not to to run out of energy being who god wants us to be be that person be that person you see when we talk about, and it may be a mystery to you guys, so let me clear it up for you. I believe in a pre-trib rapture. That before we enter into the tribulation period, the Lord is going to call us home. But listen, please listen to this. I am looking for the Lord. I am not looking for escape. I am not afraid to go through hard times or persecution. Because persecution in hard times always strengthens the believer. Always. What I am looking for is the Lord Jesus Christ, period. I want to see His face more than I want to see anything else. I want to be in His presence more than I want to be in any other presence. I look to Him, and until I see Him, what does the Word tell me to do? Be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Doers. Doing what the Word says. Being the kind of believers God wants us to be. What kind of a believer is that? Listen, we can start real simple. Let's make it easy. Jesus said, They will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. So what does that mean? If you're going to be a doer of the Word of God, then that means you better look. For opportunity every single day to love a brother, to love a sister, to give a hug when they need a hug, to answer the phone to that person who's called you 47 times. You don't want to talk to them anymore. But there they are calling because they're reaching out to you as a brother or sister saying, help me. And when the Lord returns, I don't want to be looking at the phone and saying, don't want to talk to him." I want to be answering the phone. I want to be expressing love. I want to be a person who's filled with the love of Christ for people. Now, maybe that means that the the conversation may not go like the person thinks it's going to go on the phone. I don't know. But I am going to be reaching out, looking for someone to love, looking for someone to hug, looking for someone to care for. Listen, every single Sunday, there will be a guy somewhere or a girl somewhere in the church who has purposefully sat themselves somewhere where nobody's going to talk to them, where they can get out quick, get in, and they need to know Jesus loves them. They will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Do the Word. Be who God wants us to be. Well, it's, It might cost me something. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is it cost Jesus everything. All of it. Every drop. And He said, If you would come after me, what? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. The wise steward. What's he say? The wise steward sees his responsibility. He's faithful. He's a doer of the word. And the third part that we see, the third part is there's rewards. There's rewards. Look what the scripture tells us. Assuredly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. There's a reward. Actually, the reward is twofold. Twofold. For every single believer, the reward's twofold. Present and future. The present reward, listen, the present reward says he is blessed. Blessed is he whom the Lord, when he returns, finds so doing. Blessed is he now. He's blessed now. We don't have to be miserable, run down, worn out by the things that we face in the struggles of life. We don't have to be. The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians is totally about experiencing joy amidst anything that can be going on in our life. It's our choice. Now, it doesn't make the situation we're facing any less severe or any more or less difficult. What it means is I choose to rejoice. I can always rejoice. What can I rejoice? The Bible says rejoice where? Rejoice in who? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. No matter what's going on in my life, I can rejoice at the hope of Jesus Christ in my life. I can rejoice at the opportunity to see Him. I can rejoice in what He's done for me. I can rejoice in how He's moving and working in my life. I might be going through horrible things, but I can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say... Rejoice! I'm blessed now. He says, now I'm blessed. Now. Doesn't mean it all goes away. But if I am miserable, listen, please hear my heart. If I'm miserable in my Christian walk, maybe it's because I'm not doing. You ever try to live in two worlds? Can't decide which one you're going to be. I'm going to live in this world. I'm going to live in that world. And the most important decision we can ever make is to commit ourselves wholly. Don't just say who we are. Be who we are. Be a doer. Be a doer. And experience a reward today, a blessing, and tomorrow, He makes you ruler of all things. Listen, the greatest thing, the thing I'm stoked about more than anything else is to see Him. What's He look like? What's his eyes? When you look into the eyes of God, what do you see looking back at you? You, you, There's only one way to find out. There's only one way to find out. That's to see him. The Bible says, Jesus says this to you. You are my reward. That's what Jesus says to you. You individually are my reward. And as far as I'm concerned, he is mine. Him forever. For all eternity. He is my reward. One day, the Bible says, when we're with him, we will not ever not be with him again. Now we will live our whole life without him here physically. We'll have him spiritually. We'll have his Holy Spirit in guiding and leading us. That's that's all fine and good. But one day we'll have him physically forever. Not just now and again. Forever. Man, what an incredible reward. This is the wise servant who's looking for the Lord, who understands His responsibilities, who is faithful to be a doer of the Word, and he will receive rewards. That's what the Lord says. That's the story. Then He introduces us to the wicked servant. He says, But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master delays his coming. Listen, the, the first thing that we see within the evil servant... is is an idea, It's it's a presumptuous conclusion. He assumes because God hasn't returned, because the Lord's not here, He's not coming. Peter said, In the last days, scoffers will come, saying, Where is the return of the Lord? For since the fathers have fallen asleep till now, all things continue as they have been. In the last days, scoffers. People who say, Like this servant, The Lord delays. He's not coming. He's not coming back. And because his attitude is that the Lord is not coming back, because his attitude is that the Lord will not return, it leads him from a presumptuous conclusion into evil conduct. Look at the very next verse. Listen. The very next verse. And he begins to what? Beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. Two parts of his evil conduct. Two parts. The first part, insensitivity to others. He doesn't care about other people. He does not care. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples. How? By your love one for another. But the evil servant, the wicked servant, who's not looking for the return of the Lord, who doesn't think God's coming back, who, who says I'm a Christian, but it's not, he do not he don't even give a second thought to the return of the Lord at all, will be insensitive to others. He won't care. They're just a problem. They're a hassle. So he beats them. Maybe he beats them verbally. Maybe he beats them physically. doesn't make any difference. It's still accomplishing the same thing. Insensitivity to others. But the second part we see, not only does does he do this, but then we see selfish indulgence. Then he begins to what? Eat and drink with the drunkards. Hey, man, the Lord's not coming back. It's party time. When the when the cat's away, what happens to the mice? They play, right? Well, the cat's away. The mice will play. The Lord's gone. Uh, I'm not really looking for His coming. It's time to party, man. It's time to experience all those things that I've longed to experience. It's, try, it's, it's time to sow my wild oats. Man, listen. If you don't hear nothing else, hear this. Whatsoever a man sows... That will he also reap. What's the big deal? Man, wild oats only bring one thing the same heart that you sowed them, you'll receive. Man, it, it will be a drag, I promise. Maybe not immediately, but it'll be a drag. They begin to indulge themselves. Jesus said, Those who walk in the night. They party at night. They drink at night. They do all those things at night. But those who are of the day walk in the day. They walk in the light. They do those things which glorify the Lord. Well, what's the big deal? If I want to eat, drink, party all the time, have all that, I mean, I'm just having fun. What's the big deal? Listen, please hear the heart of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Please. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I had a bunch of nonsense in the news about one particular group in there. Let's just ignore them for now, because I think we can nail the rest of us on all the rest, can we? I and mean, we can't fornicators, any sex outside of marriage, practicing that, practicing that lifestyle of sexual immorality. Period, the Lord says that's selfish indulgence. That does not mark a child of God. Period. He says, nor idolaters, idolatry, putting anything before the Lord, nor adulterers, husbands or wives, cheating on one another. The word homosexuals, you'll notice, is different from the word sodomites. That's because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I don't want to get too. Into the language. But just so you understand. uh, It is talking about those who give. And those who receive. That's how specific. It gets into the concept. Of homosexuality. By the Greek that is used. Nor thieves. Do you practice stealing? Nor covetous. Do you practice. Wanting that which you don't have? Nor drunkards. Or revilers. Revilers a guy who just wants to fight. I just got to fight because that guy looked at me wrong. Or that person did this or that. That's a reviler. Nor extortioners who try to take advantage of other people will inherit the kingdom of God. The wicked servant beat the other servants and took advantage of selfish indulgence. And he is not. Listen. The wicked servant is not somebody who was saved, who's going to come out okay. Did you read the last verse? The wicked servant is a professor, not a possessor. Do you understand the difference? A professor is someone who professes faith. I believe. But James says, the demons believe and tremble, but they're not saved. A professor. You have to possess. What's that mean? That means that when I, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, when I prayed that prayer, I meant it from my heart. I meant it from my heart in such a way and in such a place that it changed my life. That I repented and turned from my old life and I'm walking a new life now. And if that hasn't happened, you may find yourself in the wicked servant category. Not looking for the Lord's return. I don't care if He's coming back or not. I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. Live life. Grab it by the throat and choke it till it gives you everything you want. But then he tells us of the consequences. The consequences are listen, he is surprised. Verse 50 The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking. That servant's not ready. That servant's relationship with God is not okay. He's not okay. He's not ready. How do I know he's not ready? Read verse 51. Make that into something good. Show me the spin. The first thing it says, he will be cut in two. That's a a, a Hebrew idiom or a phrase speaking of a violent death. His death will be violent. I, I don't know how to make that good. I'm just telling you what it says. He will be cut in two. Then he will be appointed with the hypocrites, the pretenders, the play actors, the fakes, the chameleons. He pretended to be a believer, but he wasn't watching for the Lord. He wasn't living for the Lord. And as a result, he would say to the Lord, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. He's going to put them with the hypocrites. And thirdly, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Four times in the book of Hebrews alone, that phrase is used. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every time it is used, it is in reference to hell. Now, a lot of people, when we talk about hell, they look at hell and they say, hell is just an illustration well, let me explain to you then, if that's your viewpoint, I'm not sure how hell being an illustration helps you. Because an illustration, by definition, is a symbol that is less than the reality. It is less than the reality. So, if you want to say hell's an illustration, awesome. I'll tell you this hell is the total absence of God, the absence of every good thing. Every. No partying in hell. There's no, we'll have a keger. We'll all get together. You know, you won't get together with nobody. You won't see nobody. You'll be alone. Outside. Outside. How can a loving God send people to hell? Do you not hear what the Word of God says? The Word of God says, the Lord saith, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. God doesn't send anybody. We choose it. Hell was not made for you or me. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. If we go there, we're trespassing. It wasn't for us. But if we reject the free gift that Jesus Christ has offered, then we're like the wicked servant. Even if we dress ourselves all up on the outside, if the inside is not his, we're not his. And why? The Lord makes this an important point. Oftentimes we, we look at the scripture and we talk about eschatology. We talk about end times. We talk about the return of the Lord. And, and occasionally I'll hear people say, well, I you know, it doesn't really matter to me. I, the, maybe the timing, that's okay. If, if, you're, if you don't agree with me, I'll still love you. You're still my brother. Don't worry, I'll explain it to you on the way up, we'll get it all squared away. But, listen, if your heart is to say, I, I don't, I'm not really looking for the return of the Lord, the, the Lord just told us a parable about two people. The, the only difference between those two people was, I'm looking for the Lord, and I'm not. I'm living for the Lord, and I'm not. I'll be rewarded by the Lord, and I'm not. That's the separation. That's the division. And the next one is even better than that. In fact, just for a little preview, I promise you have not heard what I will tell you about the ten virgins. That might be bad. But you have to come back to hear that part. (laughs) Listen, as we... uh, as we consider what, what the word has brought for us this morning, I just want to encourage you. We're going to have a time of communion as we receive the Lord's Supper. And scripture is very clear about the Lord's Supper. The Bible tells us to, to not eat or drink the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And a lot of people freak out about that and they think an unworthy manner means I have a bad attitude or I sinned today. No, an unworthy manner means you don't know the Lord. If you know the Lord, you're forgiven. If you know the Lord, you're clean. If you don't know Him, you're not. And when you eat, it's just eating damnation. What does that mean? It means that the judgment that Jesus Christ bore that is symbolized by the bread in the cup, that judgment, when you eat and drink it yourself not knowing Jesus Christ, you're just partaking in future events. What he bore for us, you'll, bore, you'll bear for yourself. So, as we have an opportunity, and as we're faced with the things we talked about this morning, please, man, just examine yourself and see that you're of the faith. How do I examine myself and make myself of the faith? It's simple. The Lord said, whosoever calls on my name will be saved. It's not hard to be saved. The point is that when I call upon the name of the Lord... Do I desire to turn from the old life and walk toward Him? Or do I want to call on the name of the Lord and continue walking the same direction? And I'm a professor. I want to possess the Lord. I got to be moving toward him. I got to be walking in his direction. So as we have the, the worship team's going to come on up and we're going to enter into a time of worship, and the and the ushers are going to pass out the, the implements of of communion i invite you during this song as we just seek the lord just be faithful to do what god's asked us to do to look to examine ourselves and to know that we are who god wants us to be experience the blessing of being in the family of god